Welcome to the Fully Equipped Podcast, where we read through the Bible together and help to answer any questions you might have. Welcome back to the Fully Equipped Podcast. I'm Zach. Hi. (laughs) I'm Travis. And uh, we're going to be in Matthew. We're starting out the New Testament, taking a break from, uh, from Genesis right before we got to Joseph. Taking a break makes it sound bad. Yeah, but I know I mean, why. We were, we were in true. I mean, I'll say this. We talked about this a minute ago. Uh, when, well, let me just fill that out. When he says a minute ago, we had already started recording. And we got about, I don't know, we were what? Four and a half minutes. Four and a half, really? Four and a half. Wow, it seemed like 15. Nope. Four and a half. Wow, that's fast. I hope talking about it is different than y'all listening to it. And four and a half minutes doesn't feel like 15 minutes. But we took a break. Um, because we had somebody walk, we're at the church, we had somebody walk in the door, and I just want to kind of share this story with you. So we're sitting here recording, somebody walks in, and I didn't lock the front door, which I usually try to do, Um, but I believe everything happens for a reason, and part of that was my, uh, they're remodeling our house, and we had a bunch of the stuff that was in the kitchen in the living room. Well, I spent a big part of yesterday cleaning out the living room so that they could begin to work in there and so we took all of the food and we're storing things in a little house that's on the property that doesn't have electricity to it right now and so we took all of the food like the cans and that kind of stuff and put it over there but I told my son Alex don't put any of the things that are in packages like the cereal and the chips and all of that kind of stuff because I didn't want mice to get into it and so I said, just put it in a cardboard box, put it in the back of my Suburban, and I'll find somebody uh, to give it to. Well, it just so happens that we have a guy walk in the door this afternoon who's fallen on hard times. He's staying in a hotel. Um, he's got a job, but while he's trying to get back on his feet, he's, he doesn't have any, any food. And it just so happens that I had three boxes of food that not only was going to get him through uh, the next day or two, it was going to get him to, through till next payday. And so it's just amazing when, when God works that way. When right. we, uh, uh, you know, I'm thinking I'm just going to give it to somebody, and God says, no, I have other plans. I'm going to send to you the person that needs it. And gave me the opportunity to pray with him and, and hopefully build his, build his faith. And so... Um, we took a break from recording, and then Zach deleted the first four and a half minutes that we recorded. Actually, I didn't delete it. This is tacked on to the end of the first four and a half minutes of our recording. What it, the reason we had to restart Wait, recording. You said you deleted it. No, I didn't. I just What I said was is that I started out with an appropriate volume, and then at some point I sat ah, back in the chair, that's right. and my volume was cut in half, and so it was going to be really difficult to edit, and so it would be better for us to restart recording. Gotcha. gotcha. And now that we've got all the shop talk out of the way, <laughs> we can say this, which was, we're not really taking a break from the Old Testament. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, even before we started recording, that it's kind of one of those things where we were really excited to get into the story of Joseph. And uh, I, I, am a, I fancy myself a storyteller. I love stories. I love listening to stories, telling stories. My favorite songs are stories in, in, in their own right. And so um, I love the fact that the Old Testament is very narrative, which is something that even I've, I've known for a while, 
but it's I've always kind of been scared of the Old Testament that it's going to bore me, and I, which is something that's dumb because I have told people to read the Old Testament because it's so exciting, and so I know that, but like in my own head, it, it's daunting. And so, well, and um, I think because what happens is a lot of times our experience with the Old Testament is one of a couple of things. One, we're just keying in on certain stories that are exciting and leaving yeah. the rest out. Like everybody's heard, you know, David uh, and Goliath, David and Goliath, Daniel, mm-hmm, Jonah and, and the whale. And there's just certain ones that everybody's heard about. And then we kind of leave the other ones out or the other parts of it out. But I think the way that we're going through it now and really looking at what's the point, what God is trying to tell us, we're finding that common theme that link that links all of these stories together. Right. And so when we when you read it from that aspect, understanding what God was giving us, um, it ties all of those stories together and makes it into one big grand epic tale. Yeah. Um, and what's in and and what's great about that is kind of where we left off. We've already heard about the uh, Abrahamic covenant, and we've talked about the Davidic covenant, and all of them are pointing us to what we're going to begin reading in Matthew. Right. Um, and and part of that is, and it's not just those covenants; it's the promises that were made to uh, Isaac and to Jacob. Yes. And, and and their stories and moving forward through that and. And so, and, and uh, not just those promises, but even seeing the failures of Adam and Eve, of Cain, of each and every person along the way who's been a part of these stories, the, su- the success of Noah and then the failures of Noah mm-hmm. and, and all that stuff. All, all of that stuff is leading us to show that these, these heroes of our faith, these righteous people, all of their, all of their shortcomings, all of their, their failures and their faults are leading us to realize that we have need for a savior. And everything about these first chapters in Matthew are, guess what guys, we have a savior now. Yes. And I, and I think before we really jump into that, um, we need to, we need to talk background. Um, so we understand what we're, what we're reading and we can read it in context. So the, the very first place you start with that is understanding um, who wrote it, when they wrote it, who are they writing it to, um, so that you can understand why they wrote it. Now, we talked, uh, when we talk Gospels, we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's right. The first three are what they call the synoptic Gospels. Yep. Um, now, what's the difference between the first three Gospels and then the book of John? Well, we talked about this a minute ago, so I'm going to spoil it and make it seem like I'm smart. Uh, the first three are written f- about the same things from the same viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, they they all cover roughly the same stuff. They are they vary in detail and they vary in their timelines a little bit, um, but then, it all kind of covers the same stuff. Huh? And then John was John was which this is the difference is that the first three gospels are more about the things that Jesus said. And John is more about what Jesus did. Yeah, and so, so um, we, yeah, so we have some we have some some differences in there. But the first three, you see a lot of the same stories. But the reason, and I've had people who have questioned this or wondered about this, you do see some differences between them. So they're very similar. When we say synoptic, um, kind of a breakdown for that word is uh, 
the first part of it, sin comes from like synonym, um, which means the same, and optic is to see. So it, came, it comes from the same, the, the same um, pool of knowledge. Yeah. Um, they're all writing it from, from kind of the same information. But just like any good teacher or preacher will do is they will, they will craft the information to fit the group of people that they're, that they're speaking to or, or teaching. Um, and that's what we find here. That's where you have three, three different authors using the same pool of information that they're writing from, but they're written to three very different sources. So we have Matthew that's being written toward um, Jewish believers. Right. We have Mark that's being written toward Gentile believers. Mm-hmm. And then we have Luke who's written to a specific person named Theophilus. Um, who he continues that writing in the book of Acts. Now, for those of you that have tuned out, this is the time to tune back in because there is an importance of this. Um, The the importance is that when you begin to understand who they wrote it to, you understand the reasons for the differences. So the, the book of Matthew starts out with the genealogy of Christ because it was written to a primarily Jewish audience where um, genealogies were of huge significance in their culture. That's, and, that, and that's why we see the first, really the first three chapters cover a lot of the um, prophecies yeah. that, that have been given about this coming Messiah, where you don't see the same detail in Mark or Luke because as a Gentile, those prophecies aren't, as important they aren't as ingrained in their culture right um and then you also see places like in mark i think it's in mark where when he's talking passover he takes a takes a break and describes what passover is where that's not necessary in matthew because he's writing to jewish believers they know exactly what passover is right um they don't need it explained to them that would be trying to it would be like trying to explain the idea of what we have as christmas today to an american that's right yeah and so, uh, so it's historically, there's nowhere that it states it's written by uh, Matthew, but that is uh, historically since the beginning of time, as far as I'm aware, that's who, who, it's, been credited that's who it's been attributed to. And there's reasons that scholars believe that, and I'm not a scholar, so I'm not going to go into those. So we're just going to take it on faith there that it was written by Matthew. We do know just from the way it was written that it was written to Jewish believers, and they believe it was written somewhere around 60 A.D. Right. Um, and I think a big part of that is a lot of this stuff was handed down orally. That's the tra- that's the way traditions have been. It's been passed along, and they know that by 60 A.D. the the eyewitnesses to the account are coming toward the end of their life, and that they need to write it down to keep it from uh, warping or twisting exactly uh, to make sure it stays on track and it's it's proper and then we get into the genealogy and what's really I, I what I really like about it is as we've been reading the Old Testament we already connect with a few of these Abraham begot Isaac Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. And so we've kind of been through that. And every one of these names that you read, and we're not going to read through all of them because um, we don't want to. That's wanna, your job. We don't want to torture you that way. But as you read through these, 
you're going to see all of these names. You're going to see in the Old Testament. You're going to hear these stories. And, and we've talked before about the people that God uses and how they're imperfect and how they are, um, you know, we see them grow. I don't remember if it was in that first few minutes that we recorded or in this one where where you had talked about that, Zach, you had talked about, you see... Uh, yeah, I mean, we when we're looking in the Old Testament, we see with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, even before that with Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel, Noah, all of these people who are kind of pivotal to Christian culture even at this point. And we look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it's the first three uh, generations of the people of Israel. And we look at them and we go... Man, God must have looked at these people and said, "That's some oh, these people the 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 amount of righteousness in their bloodline is why I'm choosing them." But we see all three of them just stumbling through life, and they, but it does say that their faith was accredited to them as righteousness, and there so there is a reason that God chose this family. But we look at them stumbling, and we realize that even the most righteous people that God's choosing, even the, the righteous people that God looks at, and Noah and his family, and he says, Noah, I, I attribute righteousness to him, so I'm not going to destroy the whole, whole of humanity. I'm going to save this man because he's righteous. Right afterwards, fails. He immediately, we see his shortcomings. And so we look at that, and we look at the Old Testament, and we see... Even these, these people that we look at as heroes of faith, these people who their faith was accredited to them as righteousness, their shortcomings show us that we need a Savior. Mm-hmm. And as we get into Matthew, as we get here, the whole beginning of this, it's immediately coming around and saying, you remember the prophecies that we were given in the Old Testament? Guess what? They're fulfilled. This guy's our Savior. Yeah, and it brings it up. And if you study these names, and you will, if you stay with us over the next two years, we'll end up talking about every single one of these people. And you're going to see you've got, you've got uh, good kings in there. You've got bad kings in there. When, when we're talking about the, um, this genealogy here, this isn't just the best of the best. Not even close. I mean, you've got even people in here who are not even Jewish. Um, you've got prostitutes in this list. You've got David, who is considered a, a man after God's own heart, when it lists him and talks about his... Uh, his adultery. It talks about his adultery, and it lists that in there. Uh, it doesn't list her by name. Um, it lists her as the... Uh, instead of saying Bathsheba, it says, David, the king who begot Solomon, by her who had been the wife of Uriah. And so you see a whole sordid history here kind of coming through. And now there is another genealogy in uh, the book of Luke. I think that's right. We're going to have to look because I want to make sure that I'm not telling you wrong. But it's right here. Oh, yeah, it is in Luke. It's It's in in chapter 3. There you go. So there's another genealogy in there. And so we talked about the, you know... Since we're looking at the differences, we saw how we talked about Matthew writing to a Jewish audience. So you notice this genealogy goes back to Abraham. It opens up the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and then goes through. Because we've talked about the Old Testament, everything, everything hinged on God's covenant, his promise. And the two big ones were Abraham and David. 
were the two big covenants that God made. So it opens up that way to introduce Jesus as there's been one that's been talked about. Here's the genealogy of Jesus, and, and it points us immediately to the Savior. Now in Luke, it gives us the genealogy, and I'm going off of memory here, but that genealogy points us all the way back to Adam. Actually, points us all the way back to God. Points us all the way back to God. Yes, it says the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. There you go. So that takes us all the way back to the beginning. And once again, once we're talking context. I will say that one comes full circle. This is interesting. I'm looking at it real quick. Okay, go ahead. It starts out, it says, he was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. Which is Luke saying, he was the son of God. And then it ends by saying that Adam was also the son of God. Full circle there. Just quick, interesting point. Fun tidbit. Now, why do you think that... One of them goes back to Matthew, and one of them goes back to Adam, and then to God. Uh, I think Luke is writing to a specific person, and Theophilus means lover of God. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of that is because Luke is trying to establish with him that this was planned in this way. Mm -hmm. And Matthew is trying to write to an entire people who knew that the plan was these 14 generations and then these 14 generations. Mm-hmm. And so he's giving us that context yeah. because it's for a different group of people. Well, and, it's, and that's right. So when you, when you look at Matthew, Matthew was written to a Jewish people, so they needed to be brought back to Abraham because that is what they will understand and that's what they will connect with with the Savior. Theophilus, uh, who's being written to, uh, who Luke is writing to, Theophilus is a, it's a Greek name. Right. Which leads us to believe that this is not a Jewish person, but it's a, a specific person. Um, now, we don't know, and there's, and we'll get into that when we get into the book of Luke. But there is some question as to whether or not it is a specific individual or it's written, written to a group of believers, uh, believers by, the name, by his name. Uh, meaning lover of God. It could be, you know, there's... It could be a group that is calling themselves... The Theophilus. Yes. And so so it comes back to, but it goes all the way back to Adam, because if you look at it from um, a Gentile point of view, uh, that takes us all the way back to the first man. Right. Um, you didn't have to be in the family of Adam. This takes you back to all of, it encompasses all of mankind. Uh, where when you're writing to the Jewish people, they were specifically concerned about the coming Messiah and, and who that was. And which, uh, with, Luke's, with Luke's genealogy, it serves a few different purposes. One is to encapsulate the, the Gentiles, because when you go all the way back to Adam, when you go all the way back to even Abraham, there are, you know, Abraham had more descendants than just Isaac. And so when you take it all the way back to Adam, there are even more descendants that you come across. And that's to say that the, if there are any descendants who walk the earth, they're sons of Adam. And this genealogy, this person who we're talking about, this is for everybody. That it, that encapsulates that, and then also the idea that um, we 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 see we're going to have another timeout here, and we're back because we got interrupted by Travis's children and friend. God, put and, the, put the blame on me. I feel well, it. No, I put the blame on your it. children and the friend. Ah, okay. So, uh, no, the other thing that it, it accomplishes is by saying that 
you know, he was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, is to say that Jesus is the son of God. So it's established in both ways, in, in two things. One, this is not the son of man. Well, it is the son of man, but the son of God. And that everyone on the earth, every descendant of Adam, is going to be covered by the blood of Christ. Um, now, back from our interesting stuff about Luke, back to what we have been back reading. Back to Matthew. So when you get through those genealogies, you end up with three sections there, each containing 14 generations. And then that brings us to now the birth of Christ was as follows, and it tells the Christmas story. That's right. Which we just had Christmas last month. Yep. And have talked about the Christmas story. And so I don't think that there's a whole bunch here that we maybe need to cover. Um, you know, maybe some interesting little tidbits or things like that. Um, I think what we see over the, the whole thing is we see come to pass everything that had been prophesied up to this point. Right. Um, one interesting, I don't know, I find it interesting, um, directionally challenged people probably don't care about this at all. But I always like to look at things like the, uh, there's certain things we do in our culture that we think are scriptural and they're just wrong. For instance, the, nat the nativity scene. Correct. Do you know what most people get wrong in the nativity scene? Well, there's a lot, but I'm going to assume that you mean that there were three wise men. That's right. Well, it's not just the three wise men. It's that we put them there at Christmas at the birth of Christ. Correct. And they didn't come until much till he was like two years old. Right. And so. And there's an unnamed number. Yeah. It, we assume three because it's there actually three, three gifts. gifts. Um, so we assume three wise men. But for all we know, there was two or there was 14. Um, or there was 1,400. Yeah. They just brought three gifts. And so the other thing is um, when we talk about the star. So they followed a star there. Correct. And it reads, For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And if you just glance over that, where do you think that star is? Well, it depends on how you read it. If you, The way that you said it, I would assume that they saw the star in the direction east. But what it is, it, what they're saying is that we in the east saw so the star. That's it. That's it. And so I've heard, because there's even a group out there named the Eastern Star. Oh, no. And... Um, Oh no! I uh, had a friend. His his grandma was a part of it, and we used to give her a, a hard time. It's kind of like a, I believe it's kind of like a Lions Club or a, a thing like that. Like it's the a, Red Hat Society. It's it's a civic organization, is what it is. But she would go to her Eastern Star meetings, and we would make her mad because we would I call it a, a cult. cult. And yeah. that's exactly what we do. Oh, you're going to your cult meeting? That's not a cult. She'd get really angry with us. And I probably I probably shouldn't call other groups cults. I went to a school that a lot of people call a cult. <laughs> and so, but I never did. I never did figure this out while, while, while she was alive and point that out to her going, the Eastern star was actually a in Western West. star. Yeah. They were in the East <laughs> when they saw it. They nicknamed it John Wayne. A Western star. Yeah. That's a good one. I just, I was almost slow on that. I'm picking that one up. So for all like, you, why? It's not a common biblical name. Why would they have done that? <laughs> so for all you dad joke fans out there, there you go. Um, 
So that, that's always an, an interesting one to me. We look at it, we've got some, we've got some misconceptions as well. And, and I think, was it the book of Matthew that I, um, when they, uh, I don't think it's the book of Matthew that talks about them, there not being room at the end. No, I, I think that okay. that's specifically in Luke. That's specifically in Luke. So we'll get into that later. But a lot of times we think of they went to the hotel, there wasn't room, so they stayed in this hut. and there's Like a just, barn. When yeah. Was... They didn't have hotels like we did. There was no innkeeper that turned them away. It was a hospitality. They're a hospitality-driven culture. Um, you stay with people. You open your home to, to people. So... Uh, when they got there, it was just all the homes were full, and there, there were no Airbnb reservations that's available. Right. There was just nothing left, and so. Now, what's fun uh, is that we have a murder plot mm-hmm. already. We're just now—I mean, he's just been born, and we've got King Herod who wants to kill him. Now, one thing to one thing to make note of too, as we read through Matthew, um, we're going to find out there is more than one King Herod. Correct. Um, the one that we're talking about here is Herod the Great. Herod's a family name, so it gets like passed down. Yeah. So there's there's four King Herods that we read about in the in the New Testament. You have Herod the Great, who's the one who tried to kill Jesus, uh, Jesus as a baby. Uh, then you have Herod Antipas, which is the his son, who's going to be the one who. Uh, who tries Jesus, mm-hmm. and then you have Herod Agrippa the first and Herod Agrippa the second. Um, Herod Agrippa the first isn't in power for very long, and I believe he's the one that um, um, martyrs one of the uh, apostles. And that then, sounds right. And so, so when you see King Herod, you just gotta. That's it'll make sense later on when they're gonna flee to Egypt um, yep. to get away from. And then they're able to come back after uh, Herod the Great dies and his son comes to power. Um, This one just sounds so... My Bible is a study Bible. It puts headings above certain things that just... They're not part of the Bible. It's just a way to help identify. Kind of like the chapter and verse numbers. Right. And this one always sounds bad to me. Okay. Because you go from the flight into Egypt to massacre of the innocents. Oh, mine doesn't have that. Mine says the escape to Egypt. It skips that. Not that it skips the story. It just skips that heading uh-huh. and goes to the return to Nazareth. Uh, see, mine shows the home in Nazareth. Ah. So, and that's why I say that's not part of the Bible. That's just something that the, the, the author of the commentary or whoever put it together, they added those headings to help kind of identify sections. And that Massacre of the Innocents through, just sounds... You can find it a little easier. Yeah, Massacre of the Innocents just sounds terrible and for some reason it always makes me think of abortion Um, yeah it kind of sounds like it might have been like a world war ii movie that was specifically more pushed towards the the children who died Mm -hmm. but that may be because it was about children who died yeah yeah and it really was it was anybody that was two years and under uh it was male children and male children Mm -hmm. and he's trying to protect his power he's king and uh, he's really all of the Herods that we hear about. This is going in just another culture reference. All of the Herods that we hear about, they're not king because they were anointed by God to be king. They're not king because 
the people voted them in to be king. They're puppet kings. They're kings that were put in place by the Roman emperors. Yeah. By by the Caesars, and they they it was common for uh, Rome to do this. And what they would do is they would allow um, they would allow them to have a king who answered to the Caesar, who collected taxes for them, who paid tribute to them. They'd let them have their own religion because it helped them keep the peace. And that's why as we get later into the story, that's why it's such a big deal about Jesus coming into Jerusalem because the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and your, all of your, your Jewish rulers, what they're worried about is if, if a riot starts, Rome comes down on them hard. Yeah. And they stand to lose their power. And that's what they're trying to protect. And we see it here with Herod. He's trying to protect his power. If somebody's going to start calling somebody else king, then that's a threat to him. And it's not just a, and that's not an uncommon idea with Jesus because the prophecies that were given, a lot of the um, speculation to this point is that the Messiah is going to be a political Messiah. He's going to come and. And Israel is going to reestablish their own power and they're not going to be under the rule and reign of the Roman government and they're going to it's be a, free and he's going to be an earthly king who reigns forever. It's going to be a very uh, Moses idea of a savior, a very exodus yes. where we're going to come in and the, 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 the power it be, God's going to overcome and lead us out of exile and establish our kingdom once again. Right. Um, and which is kind of the I think that that's a big um, like uh, an establishment of the fear that Herod has is yes. that he he's he's aware of this thought and so if that he he's thinking that oh this is somebody who's coming to take my spot mm-hmm. when Christ has no care for that yeah. like, Jesus doesn't care it could be further from his mind yeah. And then we go from there. They go to Nazareth. And what's interesting is the places that God chooses. We see Jesus born in Bethlehem. Well, Bethlehem was a tiny little town. Yeah. Um, a little farm town. Yeah, it was of no importance. Um, we see them make home in Nazareth. Nazareth is another small town. Matter of fact, it, there's even a spot in there where it says, can anything good even come from Nazareth? Right. So it's not like this highly respected region. It would be like if Jesus was to come today, you know, where would you expect him to come? Wharton. Not Wharton. <laughs> but that's essentially what's going on here. Is why, why would, the, why would the, the king of the universe come to and, and choose to be born in a place like Wharton? No, it's going to be in somewhere like New York. Uh, but that's not what we see. We see God use... The least of people, we see him use the least of places um, to do great and mighty things. Uh, and so, so he grows up there in Nazareth. Uh, so that the prophecy would be fulfilled and that, mm-hmm. so that he would be called a Nazarene. Mm-hmm. And now there's a difference between a Nazarene and a Nazarite vow. That is correct. And we're not going to go into that right now, but we will read about the Nazarite vow when we get back into the Old Testament. I think it's talked about in um, Leviticus. And Probably. It's, and, and it's a vow that's taken for a period of time, although some people do take it for a lifetime. And it's believed that Jesus was a Nazarite, that he had 
taken a lifetime Nazarite vow. Um, but just in case you've heard those two things, there is some distinction between the two. Um, and then as we go into chapter 3, John the Baptist prepares the way. John the Baptist is a... Um, he's an interesting guy. Yeah. He's not your normal... Um, He's not going to be your. He, he's not your normal prosperity gospel preacher. Not at all. Um, but first, we, to get a picture of him, think of Esau. Now take away the red hair, make it brown hair. John the Baptist. Yeah, he clothed himself in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. So he is a wild man living out on the fringes. He learned of, the dangers of stew. And so now it says he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. For this is he who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So he's announcing the coming. Now, interesting tidbit, John the Baptist and Jesus are related. They are cousins. They're cousins. And... We don't hear about it in, um, in this, this account of the gospel, but we do hear it in, in others. In John, I know that that's, that's uh, detailed. Yeah, and so, um, so they're cousins. The other interesting thing is when I've always read this and I've thought of the wilderness, I've thought of John the Baptist standing out in the middle of a field, out in the middle of nowhere, announcing this, which makes no sense. Right. Um, because, but their idea of the wilderness and our idea of the wilderness are two separate things. Correct. Um, cause I think of the wilderness and I'm thinking a year backyard. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of trees, but either way, it's kind of middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and so who is he announcing this to? And so what's, what's interesting, and I don't remember all of the details of this but what's interesting is this would be more along the lines of he is if people didn't drive so fast down highway 59 but had to walk down 59 to get to houston he's he's standing at the major intersection of highway 6 and 59 as people are going into houston and as they're passing by right um i guess that's not a good example because highway 6 right now is not the wilderness but it no, but it's, it's more the idea that he's standing at a pivotal um, kind of filler or, or, you know, bottleneck into Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And, but he's far enough outside the city that it wouldn't be considered in Jerusalem. Yeah. And he's letting people, as they come in, he's announcing this to everybody. Yeah, he's telling everybody that's coming in. and He's the billboard on the way in saying, mm-hmm. if you got to go pee, Bucky's is right up the road. Yes. If your soul is thirsty, water, spring of life is on his way. It's, so he's announcing this and, and, and preparing the way. Yeah, and that's what I say. Not, 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 not your t- typical gospel or your, your prosperity pe- preacher anyway. No, I mean, he um, goes right after the Pharisees immediately. Mm-hmm. And he is he's not dressed in, in wealth. He is. He made his clothes. Mm-hmm. And it does. It says that uh, uh, when, he saw, yeah, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, 
We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And I read all of that because this is really going to help us to understand some things later on because we're going to see a lot of opposition against the Pharisees and the Sadducees um, because they're ruling parties. Um, and we'll get into there later and kind of describe the differences, but um, one of them is political and one of them has a lot of wealth and clout. And they, have, they, they oppose each other, but when it comes to uh, when it comes to the Messiah, they come together to come against. And what we read about these baptisms, and it can be confusing, because we know that John the Baptist's baptism is a baptism of repentance. That's the same baptism that we would see today, you know, at a baptism service or anything like that. It's, it's a water baptism. It's a water baptism, but it's not going to be the same baptism as we see well today not not but exactly but it's that idea, it's that idea you, to give of, you a picture of what it is that's yes. that's the idea you're looking at yeah and it's the idea of repent from your sins and turn back to god right which um, i think a lot of people miss but there's the the thing that he says which is um produce fruit in keeping with repentance yes you know you can't just be baptized in repentance you have to produce in your life evidence of your repentance. You can't just stay the same. And the reason for, and, and you've got to consider too, the audience, this is only, this is being preached to Jewish people. It's being preached to the Israelites of the time, not to Gentiles. Um, that's not come yet. Right. And so he's telling them to, to repent of their ways and turn back, uh, because the Messiah is coming and they need to be right when he comes. However, a lot of them don't see things that way. What, what he's saying here is that they're relying on their birthright. Mm -hmm. Well, because I'm a child of Abraham, God has promised me that I will. And so they can rest back and do whatever they want because we're, we're following God. We're children of God. So he would not. And he says, even the rocks that we're surrounded with, God could turn those into children of Abraham if you wanted to. You're not special. The ax is laid to the root of the trees. He's saying, if you're not going to receive the Messiah, God will cut you out. Mm -hmm. He's going to clean his threshing floor. He's going to take the wheat into the barn and he will burn up what's left. And so it's a, it's a warning. Uh, this would have been a message that, that was a serious, a serious message. Now we go from that to Jesus came from Galilee and to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. Now, if, if, um, John the Baptist baptism is one of repentance. Why would Jesus need to be baptized since he was perfect and has nothing to repent from? Um, let me get back here. What was it? What was your question? I'm sorry. I was reading something else. That's okay. If John's baptism is a baptism of repentance, then why would Jesus need to be baptized since he was perfect already? Uh, well, I mean, he replied, Jesus replied, 
Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Okay. Um, it's to fulfill everything that, that he needs to fulfill to cover and perfect the law. You know, I, I think this is one of those moments where we could speculate all we want. We don't have the understanding necessary to see why this is absolutely necessary to fulfill all righteousness. Yeah. We well, just know can, that it is. Well, and, and I can I can tell you a, a few things. I can tell you what I believe on that. And one of it is I believe that uh, Jesus Jesus is what every good he's the embodiment of a good servant leader and that is he's going to lead by example he'll never ask you to do something that he wouldn't That's go right. out and do he he didn't he's going to show you the importance of baptism and repentance even though he has no sins to repent of he's going to connect himself to people who do and he's going to go ahead and fulfill that so he can show you how important it is um, to be done. I think that uh, it also confirms the ministry of John. So all of these people that he's been preaching to and announced this to when Jesus comes along, um, he's confirming who John the Baptist is, that, that he is the one that was talked about in the Old Testament that's going to announce it, that, that his ministry is, is uh, valid. And then I think he did it to fulfill the, the Father's will because we see immediately as he comes up out of the water, we get this picture where he sees um, the heavens were open to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and aligning and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so this is where... Sounds like a John Kincaid painting. Is that... Or Mark, Marcus Kincaid. Is, is that it? I think so. I don't know. Something like that. Tom, Thomas Kincaid. Thomas Kincaid. That's, that's it. It, that's it took it. me a few times, but I made it there. That's okay. I didn't know until you said it right. Um, I think that's the way it's true of a lot of life is. <laughs> right. <laughs> we know yeah. it's not right, but we don't know the right answer until we hear it. And so we see him coming up. And, and I think the important, one of the important things, so if we're going to get back and kind of come to the point, especially in this passage right here, is... It's important for us to be baptized. Jesus himself did it. Now, while this baptism is, it is a baptism of repentance, the baptism that we're baptized in is into one of grace. It's yes. aligning ourselves with Jesus Christ and what he's done and, and, and showing the death, burial, and resurrection. It gives a, a picture of that. And but so, along with that comes repentance. But along with that comes repentance. That, that's exactly right. And then we also see that Jesus has not started his ministry yet. We've nope. heard of his history. We've heard of where he's come from. We've heard of his uh, upbringing. But until chapter, until the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, you hear nothing of Jesus' ministry, what he's come to do. And this is where it starts. And he doesn't do it until he's been baptized and the Holy Spirit descends upon him not as a dove, but like a dove. So, so the Holy Spirit comes down and, and his ministry begins there. He goes immediately from there into the wilderness to be tempted. And, and his ministry starts after that. So I believe it's also important to us to show us. We talked about Jesus. Did Jesus need to be filled by the Spirit since he is God? You're asking tough questions. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to go back to what we've already talked about with baptism. Did he need to be baptized for repentance? No. He didn't have to be. But he was baptized to align, to show us the way, and to align himself 
with the remnant of Israel that was left that was, was waiting on the Messiah. Not all of them were, all of them thought they were waiting on the Messiah, but not all of them were waiting with true intentions. He didn't start his ministry. You know, he was baptized, the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove, and then he begins his ministries. Did he have to have the Holy Spirit? Well, I believe as him being not only fully God, but fully man, that he gave up some things um, to walk that out. And so did he or didn't he? I don't know, but I know for us, it's very necessary. Right. Um, that, that we need to receive the Holy Spirit because um, John the Baptist even said it. I'm not worried that it, to carry his sandals. It says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And if we're going to carry out the ministry that God's given us, we need to be baptized in the Spirit to, to, to carry that out. Based on that sentence, I might I would go ahead and say that he it was necessary that he's baptized in the Holy Spirit. How can you baptize in somebody in something that you do not have? Yeah. So. 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 If Jesus is going to set us that example and he's going to do it, we should follow. Right. Now we can't read this over and go, well, that was just for then, or that was just a sign. Jesus knew who he was. Well, it's like you John said, John the Baptist Jesus. recognized him before he baptized him and, and opened and the heavens opened up. John the Baptist recognized who he was. Mm -hmm. um, well, it's like you said, Jesus affirmed John's ministry by taking his baptism. Mm -hmm. and, and John the Baptist has already said that Jesus would baptize us in the Holy Spirit. And so to say that we don't need the Holy Spirit, that that's not a part of our lives today. John tells it. Jesus affirms it. And we'll get into deeper conversations later on. This is kind of going long, but we get to the Holy Spirit. Really, when we get into the book of Acts, we're going to talk a lot about the baptism of the Spirit. We're really going to break down because there is a difference between the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Um, there's a difference between the cleansing and the work of and the, their, their power. Um, and so we'll make those distinctions when we get to the book of Acts and, and it really breaks that down. And that sounds well. like a lot. And that sounds like it's crazy, weird and confusing. It's not as bad as it sounds on right. paper. It's going to be, once you understand it, it's, it's, it's pretty simple to wrap your head around. Yeah. It's pretty straightforward. It's just, we tend to make things a little more complicated than what they need to yeah, be. Yeah. I don't so. know why it is that people who look at the Bible think that we need big four syllable words. It's unnecessary. Oh, no, I just did it. Well, it goes back to we like to feel smart. Yeah. And I like to feel smart. So the next episode, we're going to use nothing but four-syllable words for the whole thing. I'm not taking that challenge. You're not but I take want them. you to take it. I want to <laughs> no, see how this turns out. All right, just because of that. If he's not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. So if y'all wanted to hear that, blame Zach. It's his fault. He backed out of the challenge. I'm sorry. So, God, don't, don't be sorry on my account. I'm happy no, for that. No, I'm sorry on their the account. I can put the blame on you now, so appreciate that. I'm only human. Don't put the blame <laughs> on me. So, I encourage you to keep reading, to, to stay with it. Um, it's going to be an exciting week. There's a whole bunch that's covered in these first 10 chapters. Um, there's a lot of content here. Um, encourage you, if you're around Wharton on... Wednesday evenings, you're welcome to join us at Abundant Life at 7 o'clock. We have our Bible study, and we'll be talking about chapter 4, and we'll get into some of the Beatitudes. And when we come back um, later on in the week, we'll be finishing up and talking some more about the Beatitudes and carry us through all the way to 
chapter 10, so we just encourage you to stay with it and stick through it. If you get behind, you fall off that horse, just get back on wherever it is and keep going. Yep. Y'all have a great week. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Fully Equipped Podcast. You can find us on iTunes or Spotify, as well as www.fullyequipped.church. If you have any questions, please email us at podcast at fullyequipped.church. Have a blessed day.